This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly sermon podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's sermon. Good morning. What a wonderful day to be in church. What a wonderful prayer that we just sang. I want to be with you. And uh, first and foremost... I hope that this morning you get connected with God, that you actually are with Him. Because He has a reason for you being here, even if this is your first time to be here, and even if this might be your only time to be here because you're on vacation and just passing through. uh, I'm of a firm belief that there are no disposable church services, all right? So that means that God has uh, a mission that He wants to accomplish in you, and I pray that uh, this morning you understand what that is and uh, that you embrace that into your life. My name is Ron, and I'm one of the pastors here at New Life, and I want to welcome you to church. I hope that it's a wonderful experience for you. Let me go over a couple of things, to just kind of housekeeping kind of stuff. On the inside of your program, you will find a half page of fill-in-the-blank notes, we test you at the end of the service. That's not true, all right? Just, it's there to help you uh, uh, learn. It's there for you to take with you. And if you're like, if you end up being like most of the people at New Life, uh, we take those home. We read through them again during the week. Uh, if you're a person who prays, most of our people pray through those. Uh, we have people who go to life groups where they work on the application of what I'm going to talk to you about over the next few minutes, uh, because as you have already heard, um, church is, it's about our lives changing. And uh, this morning will be no exception. This is the last in a series of sermons called Nine Days in the Life of Jesus. And for those of you who like to count, this is actually our eighth service in this, so you can figure out we're one short, but we started because didn't know for sure when we were going to get into this building, and uh, it just worked out to where there were only eight Sundays. So, uh, but don't despair. One of the things that God has spoken to me about is every year I do a series of sermons out of the life of Jesus. Uh, he is our Savior, He is our leader, and there's just no way to go wrong studying the life of Christ. Such a wonderfully uh, rich experience. And I know many of you have enjoyed this series, and many of you have ordered uh, the entire set on CD. Um, and uh, so, God willing, next year uh, we'll do another series out of the life of Jesus, and perhaps we'll pick right up where we're leaving off today. Last week, we did a, ser- a sermon called dueling with our doubts. And we talked about the whole concept of even the greatest and deepest and most spiritual of Christians sometimes have doubts. And we looked in the life of John the Baptist. And at the very end of that uh, sermon, I pointed you to a scripture that I'm actually going to point you to twice this morning. It's not in your notes, so I'm just going to read it to you straight out of the Bible because it's Boy, it puts it very plainly. Here it is. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right. You see, this morning we're going to talk about faith. And when we talk about faith, there are a couple of basic questions 
that, that, that we're going to take a look at. And I'll give those to you in a minute. They're not in your notes either. So you might want to take that pencil and write down what those things will be. But the very first thing, you understand, it says all the people, even the tax collectors. Now, not, not that the Bible is anti-IRS, okay? Although most of us probably wish that it were. But uh, in this day and age, I don't have time to give you the whole historical background, but basically... Being a tax collector required you to be dishonest, and it required you to be disloyal to your people. So anyone who was a tax collector was someone who sold his people out and and voluntarily took on a job that required him to be dishonest. And so the people of Jesus' day looked at the tax collectors as the lowest of sinners. Now in this context, the Bible has a wonderful message for all of us, even those that might be the worst of sinners. And that is, when we listen to the teachings of Jesus and we embrace them into our lives, we will come to understand that God's way is right. Now let me just read the next verse. It says, But the Pharisees and experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves. Now, see, ultimately, all of us will end up in one camp or the other. All of us will either end up in the camp that says, I believe that God's way is right and embrace it into our lives and live by it and and receive the blessings and the rewards that come by following God and acknowledging that His way is right, or we will end up in the other camp and we will reject God's purpose for our lives. You see, when you look at faith, it has a very simple foundation. I want you to write these two questions down because they are the two foundational questions of the entire Christian faith. Question number one is this. Is God good? See, if I don't really believe God's good, will I ever acknowledge that His way is right? No, I won't acknowledge His way is right because I don't believe He's good. I don't believe He's for me. I don't believe that God makes the decisions that He makes for the good of the people He created. If I don't believe that God is good, I'll never follow Him. And and in a sense, you could take the whole Bible and condense it down into that one message, and that is God is is good. And the second question that's in the foundation of faith is this, and that is, is God all-powerful? I'm always reminded of the story of the guy who was afraid of flying, and his buddy said to him, oh man, get over it. I mean, if you're up in the air and it's your time to go, it's your time to go, man. And he looked at his buddy and he said, that's not what I'm afraid of. What I'm afraid of is when I'm up in the air, what if it's the captain's time to go? (laughs) You see, God might be good and that might be wonderful, but if he's not all powerful, if he goes down, guess what? We're going with him. And the message of Scripture is not only that God is all good, but he's also all powerful. And that's why you can trust Him with your life. That's why the greatest thing you can do 
is trust him with your life. Now, in the story out of Jesus' life this morning that we're going to see, Jesus gives a wonderful one-two punch about God being all-powerful. And that's why I want you to look on your program. You'll see what's the title of the message this morning, Master of Everything. He's not only just good, he's the almighty, he's all-powerful. So let's take a look at this particular story in, in the essence of faith. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, the essence of faith is this. In other words, is faith just positive thinking that helps people feel better about themselves and therefore elevates the human spirit to its highest potential? If you were to read much of what's written out there in the spiritual realm today, you would be taught that there are different kinds of faith for different kinds of people because everybody's different. And what you need to do is you need to find a faith that kind of gets in line with the vibes of your spirit that elevates you to your highest potential and, and, and all of that stuff. Now, the Bible has a completely different answer than that. Here's what the Bible says, Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is the substance. I want you to circle and underline that word substance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, and it is the evidence. I want you to circle and underline that. It is the evidence of things not seen. Now, God says in His Word, when I call you to this position of faith, I want you to know for sure that I'm not calling you to wishful thinking. I'm not calling you to positive thinking. I'm not just calling you to some sort of positive mental attitude that makes you feel better about yourself. Maybe even then you should. I'm calling you to something that has real substance to it, and I'm going to give you evidence for that substance. And so this morning, as Jesus interacts with his 12 apostles, he gives them evidence that he's for real that he is the master of everything. So let's go to Luke. Let's see what Luke has to say as he tells us the story. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into the boat and they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped. By the way, I understand that it says squall there, but if you want the real word, it's storm, okay? This was not just a a tiny little squall. This was a real storm. The boat was being swamped. I've been to the Sea of Galilee on numbers of occasions, and I've actually seen the Sea of Galilee during a storm, and I can tell you it's not a place that you would want to be. And the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went, woke him, saying, Master, Master, don't you care that we drown? And he got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked the disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another. By the way, it doesn't seem like they answered his question, okay? It says in fear and, and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Now, there are three lessons from the first. This is one story. This is punch number one. There are three lessons that we can learn from this that are invaluable to our faith. And the first lesson is this. The tendency of our human nature is to panic before we look to Jesus. It's not in our nature to be people of faith. 
You know why? Because when a person is a person of faith, one of the basic elements of faith is trust. And we all tend to be naturally distrusting people. If you don't think so, you're standing there with your cold stone ice cream that you love, and your best friend comes up and says, here, I'll hold that for you. (laughs) What's the first thought that goes through your mind? Over my dead body. That's just how we are. It's not our nature to just trust anybody and everybody. And consequently, it's not our nature to just look to Jesus and automatically trust Him. And the disciples were just like you and me. When trouble came, the first thought that they had was, I have to do something about this. And you know what they did? They started bailing. And they got a bucket, and then they found another bucket maybe in the boat. And these guys are in the back of the boat, and they're bailing as fast as they can, but every wave that comes swamps over the side of the boat, and they realize there's more water coming in than going out. And if you keep that up long enough, what happens? You go down. It's just our nature to be that way. You know what that means? It means that most of us probably have to be driven to the Lord. It's probably not in our nature to seek Him naturally. And if we were to just go around the audience this morning and share our stories, most of us, unless we grew up in a Christian home where we were taught by our parents, most of the rest of us encountered something in life that scared us or made us feel overwhelmed or certainly tied us into our mortality. And for the first time, we realized someday I'm going to die. What, what, what is there about life? And in some form, we, we were kind of driven to the Lord. That's okay. The important thing is that we get there. In the disciples' case, They kind of had to be driven by this storm to seek the Lord. So you know what the Bible says? When you get in that place where you feel overwhelmed by the anxieties of life and the worries and the stresses and you encounter something that's far bigger than you are, the Bible still says this, cast all your anxiety on Him. And this morning you may be wrestling with giants in your life. You may be wrestling with huge problems that that have come into your life just this week, and you feel like, God, my boat is swamped. And if you don't step in, it's going down. And I'm scared. Well, then, God's message for you this morning, maybe the whole reason He brought you to church was so that you could take whatever that anxiety is and you could cast it on Him. And you could walk through that anxiety with a God who loves you and knows about that care already. And He is just waiting for you to come and say, will not you put that care on me? I'll carry it for you. Lesson number two is this. Seeking Jesus takes the panic out of life. 
Have you ever thought about how different this story would read? If when the storm came up, the first thing these guys did is they went back and they woke up Jesus and said, Oh, Jesus, you can conquer anything. Uh, There's a big storm coming. Are we going to be okay? If not, would you please take care of it? End of story. Jesus would have, Jesus would have stood up and said, Oh, that's right, boys. Storm's coming. Okay. Calm the seas. Everybody feel better? End of deal. You see, if they would have just sought after Christ, but instead they bailed and bailed and bailed and bailed, and, and it got a little tougher as, as they bailed. You see, I want you to write this down in your notes because this is just one of those bottom line things of faith. It's not what your boat encounters. It's who's in your boat that makes the difference. You understand the difference? Here's our problem. We ask the wrong question. We look at our lives and we say, Oh my goodness, look what's happening in my life. I've got this problem. I've got that problem. My life is being swamped by this. I'm overwhelmed by this. I don't have any clue what I'm going to do about this. I am in trouble. Because we're looking at all the things that our boat encounters. And Jesus is saying to us, That's not what you should be asking yourself. You don't determine whether you're in trouble by what your boat encounters. You determine whether you're in trouble by who's in your boat. And if Jesus is in your boat and you're walking with Him, you're going to be okay. But listen to me. The lake could be flat as glass. No wind, no waves, and no rain. And if Jesus isn't in your boat, you're in trouble. You just don't know it yet. It's a fundamental lesson of faith. It's not what our boat encounters. It's who's in our boat. That's why the Bible says this. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Can you see that contrast? The first part of that verse It's what your boat encounters. Don't worry about anything. That's not the right question to ask. What am I encountering? What is the right question to ask? Who's in my boat? Instead, pray about everything. And then notice what he says happens. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's what? That's the opposite of panic, isn't it? Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. It's a wonderful picture of the life of faith. It's a wonderful picture of the life that we are learning to live as we follow Christ. It's a wonderful picture of the life that God is calling each of us to who decide to become followers of Jesus Christ. It's what He's calling us to as a church, that we might experience God's peace, not because there's no waves on the lake, but because even though there are waves on the lake, we're very aware of who's in the boat. And we're okay. Lesson number three is this. When we seek Jesus... Nothing we encounter can thwart God's plan for our lives. What a powerful message. 
See, oftentimes I have people in my office who come and they're very bitter and they're very angry because of something that somebody did to them that wasn't fair and it wasn't right and they got mistreated and therefore they got gypped out of something that they felt was rightfully theirs. Now, please hear me. I feel very sorry and I feel great compassion for anybody who gets ripped in life. Okay? I want you to get treated fairly. And I want you to get what you have earned and deserved in life. But I want you to know this, that after we cry together and after we feel bad about how you got treated, we're going to take a look at the fact that no matter how badly you got treated and no matter what anyone did to you, God still has a plan for your life and no one can take that away from you, not even that person who treated you badly. And the worst thing you could do is now hate that person and be bitter about it because I should have write this down. Okay? No one can take away God's plan for your life. That's the good news. But I also want you to write this down because it's equally important. But you can forfeit it. See, no matter what I do to you, I can't take away God's plan for your life. But if you get bitter and mad at me, now you forfeit it. Because, guys, do you think God's plan is going to come to pass in the life of a person who chooses to be bitter and angry? What do you think? That doesn't make any sense. You see, no one can take it away from you. You can't lose it. But, boy, you can forfeit it. And the disciples learned that prior to seeking Jesus, they were giving it up, weren't they? They were forfeiting. The peace was all there. Jesus was already in the boat. They could have been living in peace, but they were living in panic, not because somebody took it away from them, but purely and simply because they forfeited the resource of peace that was right there in the boat. And when they finally figured it out, then they went to Jesus and they said, oh yeah, could you help? Maybe that's why you're here this morning. Not that anyone's taken your peace away, but you've allowed the things of life to put you in a position where you forfeited the wonderful peace that God wants you to be able to live in. And what is worse, in some of our cases, we not only forfeited the peace that God wants, and we not only got mad and bitter at somebody, but we turned that toward God, and we got mad and bitter at God, as if somehow God had brought that storm into our life, and somehow God is no longer good. Remember where we started? Fundamental question of faith, is God good? Now, what does the Bible say? The Pharisees, that's the verse I read to you already. The Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves. They had seen Jesus give sight to the blind. They had seen Jesus give hearing to the deaf. They had seen Jesus raise the dead. They had seen Jesus heal lepers. They had heard the wonderful and beautiful teachings of Christ that were changing even the lives of the tax collectors and the worst of sinners. And they looked at all of that and they said, it's not for me. 
they rejected God's purpose for their lives. In spite of all that evidence and in spite of all that substance. So that's story number one. Story number two, which is the second half. Let me read you this story. It's so different from the first one, but yet some wonderful um, commonalities. So they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes. And that, by the way, is just a region on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And I, I, that's a, we'll reserve that for a lesson in geography someday. Okay? which is across the lake uh, from Galilee. And when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. And for a long time, the man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man, and many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and been driven by the demon into the solitary places. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order him to go into the abyss, and a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. And when the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and and they were drowned. Let's take a look at three more lessons. That's three, okay? Three more lessons that we can learn. Number, Number four, Satan's goal is the destruction of the human spirit. You can say, here's a man who gave his life over to the control of Satan, and, and, and what kind of condition did he end up in? Horrible and pathetic, living in a graveyard, stark naked because couldn't keep any clothes on. He cut himself. He was bound hand and foot. He would break the chains. He was a wild man. No one ever took their children out to see this guy and said, son, when you grow up, I want you to be just like him. Why? Because you couldn't imagine. That would be every mother's nightmare. Why? The man was living dead. No friends, no family could be near him, no relationships, no productivity, no peace, no joy, no satisfaction, no fulfillment. Yeah, he was living, but he was dead. His spirit had been completely destroyed. Now, listen up. I know in our culture... It's very popular to believe that evil doesn't really exist. I know it's really popular to believe. In fact, it's not politically correct to talk about the existence of an actual devil. And by the way, if you believe any of the most recent surveys that have been done of Christians in America... Twice as many Christians believe in heaven as believe in the devil. You know, if it's positive, we're on board. Okay? I want to talk turkey with you for just a minute. For those of you whose political and worldviews lean a little bit more toward the left, okay? For someone to say to you, that Satan doesn't exist, it ought to set off all the same and bigger whistles, bells, and buzzers as for someone to say to you that global warming doesn't exist. 
What would you say to them? You'd say, are you nuts? If you don't believe in global warming, you're going to ruin the planet and eventually you'll destroy us all because we all recognize that if a danger exists and we simply deny its existence, in the end, we pay for it. Now, for those of you who lean a little bit more to the right, okay, this would be like someone saying to you, I don't believe in Al-Qaeda. You go, what? You don't believe in that? You realize they could terminate our nation if we don't deal with that? You you pick whatever you want to put in the blank because we all know that when a danger exists and we pretend like it doesn't exist, we make ourselves vulnerable to the destruction of whatever that is. Now here's what God in His Word says. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy. Whose enemy? Yours. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And the worst thing that you and I could do is sit around and go, I don't believe in a devil. He's sitting in the corner going, thank you. Because we're then a sitting duck. Because our guard is completely down. I I, I don't want you to walk out of here fear-based that you're going to encounter the devil around every corner. But I do want to tell you this. You better understand He exists, and you better understand that His goal is the destruction of your spirit. Okay? Let's go to principle number five, I guess it is. Satan always tries to get us to compromise with God. (laughs) Satan doesn't care if we do part of what God says. In this story, Jesus said, okay, I want you guys to come out. And they said, oh, oh, please, 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 not where you say. How about these pigs over here? Could you just cast us into the pigs? That would be a far, far better deal. You know, I wrote in my notes, Satan has another goal that kind of helps him accomplish that first goal we were talking about. And that is when God gives us a message, he says, anything but full cooperation. And even as you sit here this morning and God begins to speak into your life, I want you to be aware of the fact that Satan will put a thought in your mind and it will be, I don't care if you're a little religious, just don't be fully cooperative with God. Cut a deal with him. And so that's what they did here. Now, the prophet Elijah stood up in front of the people of his day, and they kind of wanted to go to church on Sunday and then go to the idol's temple. Well, actually, they were going to church on their Saturday and going to the idol's temple the rest of the week. And they were bouncing back and forth, and they thought, you know, if I just kind of worship every god I know, maybe one of them is the real deal. That sounds really familiar to where a lot of people are today, Right. Yeah, they're going to hedge their bets. I'll do a little of this and a little of that, and I'll do a little of this, and I'll read my horoscope in the paper, and then I'll go to church, and I'll, you know, it all, whoa, you know what Elijah said? Elijah said, look, how long will you waver between two opinions? If God, if the Lord is God, if God is good and God is all-powerful, then follow Him. But if He's not, don't play games. In, in this church, we have kind of a tagline. It goes like this. Real God, real people, real life. 
You know what that means? You know, if you come here often, you know, even just by coming here this morning, that God's going to be real with you and he's going to tell you the truth in his, in his word and he's not going to mince words about it. You're not going to walk away going, golly, I wonder what God really meant by that. You're going to know because God's going to be real with you and never deceive you. The second part of that, it's up to you. And that is whether you'll be real with God. And I want to encourage you this morning to kind of drop your guard with God and open your heart to Him and just be real. Don't pretend to be better than you are. Don't pretend to be worse than you are. Just be real with God. Because you know what happens when you take real God and you put Him together with real people? You know what those people experience? Real life. And that's God's desire for you and me. It's not to cut a deal with Him. Okay, God, I'll go to church on Sunday morning if you don't ask me to do this. Or I'll do that if you don't ask me to do this. Or, oh no, not about that. Just kind of, God's not open to negotiation. God says, this is how life works, man. I made it. And if this is how it works, then just work with me. Cooperate with me because I designed life in such a way that will be a thrilling experience for you. And you will experience in your lifetimes, in your lifetime, thing that, things that you never thought were possible. Just get on board with me, but get fully on board with me. Don't try to cut a deal. Why? Well, that's lesson number six. Because when? We compromise what God says. It never turns out the way we expect. These demons go, those pigs, we could have some fun in those pigs. Jesus said, you called it. <laughs> so he cast them into the pigs, and what happened? <laughs> right down into the water they go. End of story. you know how many times God has asked me to do something and I've thought that I had a better way, and I did it my better way, and it went straight down the hill into the tanker, right? Yeah. And eventually, hopefully, we come to a place where we realize that when we compromise what God says, it never works. Now, way back in, in, in the beginning of the Bible, most of you have heard the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. They were two very, very wicked cities that God said he was going to destroy. But living in that, the city of Sodom, there was a man by the name of Lot that the Bible calls a preacher of righteousness. Okay, So he'd be a good guy. And God says, you know, if I destroy the city, but I don't get Lot out, I will end up destroying the righteous with the wicked. And God says, I don't do that. I don't paint with a broad brush. I work with individuals. So he sent down some messengers to Lot and said, Hey, Lot, God's going to destroy this city. You better get out. God says, flee to the mountains. Now, guess what? Lot looked at the mountains, and he'd been living in the well-watered plain of Sodom. And he looked up in the mountains. He goes, eh, that looks rugged. That does not look like... Uh, is it uphill or downhill getting there? That's all uphill, isn't it? When you go from the plain to the mountains, that's all uphill. And he looked up there, and he didn't see too much green up there. And it looked tough, and it looked rough. And I want to read to you the deal that he decided he would cut with God. Lot said, I can't flee to the mountains, for disaster will overtake me, and I'll die. You think there might be a little drama in there? 
Lot, since when is a trip to the mountains going to kill you, dude? But he's painting the picture for the Lord. He said, now look, over here is this little town of Zoar, near enough to run to, and it's small. Oh, let me flee to it. You know what God said? Okay, Lot, you called it. There's your town. Now, you know what it says? Just a few verses, ten verses later. Here it is. Lot and his two daughters left Zoar and settled where? In the mountains. Why? Because he was afraid to stay in that nice little place that looked so great. You know, sometimes if we just get on board with the Lord, we could take the shortcut. And we would save all the heartache and all the trouble. You know, as we close, I want to give you a principle and a scripture. The principle is this. Nothing we encounter in this life or in the life to come is a serious threat to God's power. You know, there's a reason why I believe that God stacked these stories back to back in the Bible and back to back in the lives of the apostles. Because there are two great concerns that you and I have as we live. And the first one is this. Is there anything that I'm going to encounter in this life that's bigger than God? Am I going to run into anything that when I take it to God, God goes, oh, not that. I'm sorry, dude, you're on your own. I can't do anything about that. It's bigger than me. Is there anything like that? You know what Jesus did? He said to his 12 apostles, okay, I know you guys wrestle with trusting me. What's the biggest thing on this earth? You name it, I'll take it on. Is there anything bigger on this earth than Mother Nature? And it's sometimes violence. The winds and the waves and the waters and the rain and the clouds. And Jesus was saying to them, if I step in and I intervene with the most powerful forces of Mother Nature, would you trust me in this life? I can handle the rest of it. And so he stood up in the boat, and to the rain, and to the clouds, and to the winds, and to the waves in the lake, he said, peace. And instantly, there was peace. You know what his message for you and me is? Friend, there's nothing you will ever encounter in this life that's bigger than Jesus. So what about the next story? Well, the next story is about a guy who was demon-possessed. That's not so much about the forces in this world. That's about the forces in the spirit world and the world that is to come. And Jesus said, how big a demonstration do you want? You find me the person who has the most power of Satan in him. By the way, you know what legion means? A Roman legion was 6,000 soldiers. Jesus said, you bring me a guy that's possessed by 6,000 demons. Did that do it for you? Bring him to me. And when the guy came out of the tombs with one simple command, Jesus said to the demons, be gone. 
all 6,000 of you. I didn't read you the rest of the story, but when the people from the town came out, they found this man clothed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, and in his right mind. Can I tell you that nothing you encounter in the world to come is any match for God? Because God is not only good, He is all-powerful. Would you join me in prayer? Father, what a wonderful, wonderful lesson that you are completely trustworthy, for you are good. Look what you did for the, for the apostles. They were panic-stricken, and the boat was going down, and in your goodness, you stood up, and you rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was calm, and you rescued them. And then you went right across the shore, and, and this man's life was destroyed, and you looked at him with grace and compassion, and when you left him, he was, he was clothed, and he was at peace. And he was in his right mind. And he had a great life. Lord, you are good. And you are all powerful. Would you help us now to trust you completely? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information and past sermons, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.